Well, I'm going to do something today that I, as far as I know, I have, I have never done before. I was here last year, and the Lord led me to preach a message, and I, I did. And I feel this morning like the Lord would have me do it again and uh, give you part two of the message that I did not get to finish last year. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter number 18. It's so good to see friends here and uh, the A.G. family. We're looking forward to being with them in just a few days down in Pickens, South Carolina. We were just with them down on the island of Grenada and spent a, a week down there uh, trying to find something to eat. And uh, they eat ox tail and fried uh, raccoon toenails and everything else. I never in my life have been so glad to get back to the States. Went to the grocery store and was looking at a ham and it was $300. And I thought $300 and that was their money. And uh, just an awfulest place. But we have been able to deliver 82,000 giant print King James Bibles to the island of Grenada. And uh, I tell you, the devil has fought that thing. I mean, ever since the beginning, every step of the way, the devil's tried to put the, the kibosh on it. We finally have them there after many trials. And last week, the Bibles have printed on there that they're not for sale. And the wrapper says not for sale. There's no ISBN number on the bottom of the, of the, of the label. And the government, when they came, they did not charge a tariff or a tax to bring them into the country, which was saved us thousands and multiple thousands of dollars. But someone last week got a hold of a couple cartons and was selling them. And it got back to the government that, that they were selling the Bibles. And so, again, it looked like they were going to shut us down. And so they invited Brother Patterson, Brother Celestine, to uh, come and, and uh, speak on nationwide television for the whole island of Grenada. And they were able to get on there and explain what was going on and explain that that was not authorized, that it's marked not for sale, and to give the plan of salvation. And what the devil meant for evil, God turned around and gave them 20 minutes of free broadcast, free airtime, free advertising, and let people know anybody on the island could have a Bible. And the uh, director of the, of the TV show and the men that worked there at the TV station, all of them got Bibles. And so is that dear sister saying, where, where is she? And uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm glad God knows what he's doing. Well, sometimes we think we're an awfulest mess and we wonder what in the world God's doing. We pray and things get worse and we try to talk to the Lord and it seems like the more we pray, the worse things get. But I'm glad all of God's trains are right on schedule. Everything's running just fine for the Lord. He doesn't have to get his... Uh, program approved by us. He doesn't have to check it out with us. Sometimes we can understand what he's doing and we can follow him and shout and praise God. And other times we just have to trust him even when he makes no sense to us at all. And so I, uh, I thank the Lord for it. Well, this morning I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. Don't, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Lord, I thank you for this open door and God, I consider a great privilege to be able to come and stand behind this pulpit. I do not take this for granted. And Lord, I just ask God that you'll help us. In our weakness, will you give us strength? In our confusion, would you give us clarity? And I pray that you'll open thou our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I know not who this message is for. Lord, I have, I have several other sermons I would whole lot rather preach this morning. God, I, I uh, have fought you over this. But Lord, I'm going to do what you've told me to do, and I know not who it's for, but I pray, God, that you'll help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, in Genesis chapter 18, we're going to see the story of Lot and uh, starting off with his uncle Abraham. One day God told Abraham to get up from where you are and uh, head to a country. He said, I'll, I'm going to build a country for you. And you leave. He said, where's it at? You just uh, follow 
and follow me and I'll get you there. Kind of like we are today. I don't know how to get to heaven from Pisgah Forest. I wouldn't know how to, I saw last week where some of the billionaires are, are trying to figure out which one's going to get to the moon first. And uh, you could get a ship and blast past the last planet and go uh, way out into space. But I'm glad, beloved, out beyond the last planet, out beyond the last star. There's a heaven of heavens where God dwells today. And I wouldn't know how to get there physically, but I'm following the one who knows the way. Well, his nephew came along and said, Uncle, I'd like to go with you. And Abram at that time said, Well, son, I don't know where I'm going. It may be a hardship. I can't explain. So I don't care. I want to go. So Lot tagged along. And as God blessed Abraham, we knew God blessed Abraham. And uh, the spillover blessed Lot. Amen. Listen, I'm glad to be around God's people. I'm glad to be around God's men. Down home, there was uh, Brother uh, Rudy Smith, Mount Sinai. They had a revival that lasted five weeks. And somebody said, does that bother you that it's going over there? I said, no, sir. Man, if God can do it over there, he can do it for us. Hey, you let a good fire break out, it'll, it'll sweep the countryside. No, sir, that doesn't bother me at all. Well, God blessed Lot, God blessed Abraham, and there, uh, their cattle and sheep began to multiply till one day Abraham came to Lot and said, Son, we're going to have to separate. I know you've been with me, but our cowboys are fighting over water holes and grazing lands, and we're just too big. The country won't sustain all of yours and all of mine. And so Abraham told his, young, his younger nephew, Lot, he said, Look, you choose one way and I'll go the other. And Lot looked and one way it was going to be a harder time. It was mountainous and there wasn't a lot of uh, pasture land, maybe not, not, not a lot of uh, streams. And Lot said, boy, that way is going to be hard. And he looked the other way and there was a well-watered plains of Sodom. I mean, the grass was up to the cow's belly. And it looked like there was a creek uh, about every uh, five or six steps. And Lot then decided to take the easy road. And beloved, if you study, that was Lot's first mistake that he made, was taking the easy road and making old Uncle Abraham go the hard road. Listen, anything worth having is worth working for. And anything you can get that you don't work for isn't worth having. God told Adam, he said, you're going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. And any man that's too good or too high or too noble to sweat, he's not worth a bread. He's not worth a nickel. God said, you're going to have to toil. You're going to have to labor. And so God, uh, uh, Abraham went his way and Lot went his. Well, the Bible said, the next thing we see about Lot was that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, beloved, listen. I don't care who you are. You hang around sin long enough and it won't bother you like it does today. You get around ungodly, wicked people and they may offend you and it may be awful to you at first, but it won't stay like that if you hang around. I I remember back uh, when I was a boy coming up, you could not curse and swear on TV or on the radio. They'd pull your license. They'd shut your station down. But now that's about all there is. It's a filth that that is is coming out. And beloved, the world knows how to condition us. He brings it in slow and slow and he introduces evil things and abominable things that that we can't stand. But the second time is not quite as bad as the first time. And beloved, I don't care how close you are to God, you hang around worldly people. You hang around the devil's crowd. And I got news for you, it will affect you and it will change you. We had some uh, two families in our uh, church back home in Virginia. I got upset with us and pulled their kids out of our Christian school. They'd been in our youth group, been in our Christian school ever since. They just little bitty fellas. And about two weeks later, my wife and my son was down to Walmart and ran into them. And my son, just as soon as they got home, he jumped out of the car, he ran in. He said, Daddy, I don't understand it. He said... Uh, I, I grew up with these, uh, these kids. And he said, we just saw them at Walmart. And he said they were dressed immodestly. He said they were listening to awful music. 
and he said they, uh, the boys had grown their hair out and the girls were dressed awfully. And my son asked me, he said, Daddy, how could they change so fast? How could they change from what they were to what they are? And I said, son, all you've got to do to cool off is to back away from the fire. And so you just back away from the fire and this old world will cool you off. This old world will change you. You get away from the fire and I don't care who you are, it'll begin to cool you down. Lot pitched his tent so every morning when he walked out, he looked down into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot being a businessman, that's where the transactions were taken care of down in the gate of the city. And he saw the buying and selling. And even though he knew what was there, he knew the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah. Day after day walking out of that tent, the first thing he saw, and before long, the next thing we read about Lot, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's where the mayor and the city council sat. So now, a young man who was the nephew of the man of faith, the godly Abraham, now we read about him, and he possibly is the mayor of Sin City. He's gone from the top to the bottom in just a little while. Well, we know what Sodom and Gomorrah is known for. No need to go into that in a mixed audience like this. Abominable, wicked, terrible things went on in those cities. And let me tell you, beloved, uh, things are, are like that are happening in our country. Used to you hear about stuff like that in San Francisco or New York City. But now it's come to Greenville County, South Carolina. It's all around us. And beloved, uh, the uh, stench of this wickedness, the stench of this abominable works, and these people had given themselves over to worldly pleasures and sins and, and that's all they cared about was their sin and, and fulfilling their flesh. And finally God said, I've had it. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God told Abraham, I'm going to wipe it off the map. I'm going to burn her to the ground. And Abraham said, well, Lord, I certainly understand. But he said, uh, God, do you, do you remember my nephew and his wife? And we know he had at least four daughters. He said, they live in the city of Sodom. And God said, well, I don't care whether they do or not. I'm going to burn her to the ground. And in chapter 18 of Genesis, beginning in verse 26, Abraham begins to talk to the Lord. And he says, Lord, he said, uh, if I can find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, I'll spare it for 50 righteous souls. Well, Abraham thought of it and he said, well, Lord, uh, perchance they're not 50. How about 45? If I could find 45, would you spare the city? And God said, I'll spare the city for 45 righteous. He goes down to 40 and said, Lord, how about 40? And God said, I'll not destroy it for 430. God, how about 30? If you would uh, spare the city. And God says, okay. Then he, Abraham says, Lord, I'm not trying to make you angry, but he's thinking about it. He said, uh, Lord, how about 20? If I could find 20 righteous souls, will you preserve the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? And God said, I will not destroy it for 20 righteous souls. Now, I want you to look. In verse 32. And he said, Abraham speaking to God, oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry. He says, Lord, don't get mad at me. He said, I'll speak yet, but this one, just, just one last time. Can I run this by you? Peradventure 10 be found there. And I want you to look carefully. If you have your pencils or your pen, would you underline the last sentence in verse number 32? And God said to Abraham, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. God told Abraham that he would, he would spare the wicked, vile, godless, wretched city of Sodom and Gomorrah if there were just ten righteous souls that were there. Now, 
I, I have heard, and I celebrated this month, February, I celebrated my 43rd year on the radio and 47 years of preaching. And I've heard fellas down through the years make this statement. If God does not judge America, he'll have to, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. God doesn't destroy America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, beloved, I've got news for you this one. America has something that Sodom and Gomorrah did not have. I'm glad in this country we still have a remnant that believe and pray to the God of heaven. Not everybody's an atheist. Not everybody's a flag burner. Not everybody has turned their back on God. There's still in this country a remnant of people who talk to God and touch heaven. And that, beloved, is what's keeping America alive. These homosexuals and abortionists and liquor and dopers, they ought to thank God for you and I because it's us that's keeping the judgment of God off this country. They laugh at us and they hate us, but if they realize we're the reason they haven't already been destroyed. If God made a promise, if I could find 10 righteous, I'll spare the city. Well, I'm glad there's more than 10 righteous people in this country. Boy, if you read the normal newspaper, you listen to the regular newscast, you'd think this whole country has turned their back on God. But I'm glad it's not so. Amen. Amen. There's still a remnant in this country. Well, Abraham thought Lot, his wife, four daughters, I, I suspect he had heard that at least two of them were married. And so he said, uh, that's eight. Surely, all the time Lot's been there, he's been able to bring two to righteousness. Surely he's done that. His kids are right and their husbands probably right. And if there's just two other people that are right, God will spare the city. But beloved, we see that there wasn't even 10 righteous souls in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, the Bible said, God sent angels down to get Lot and his family out of the way. If you want to read some of the most disgusting uh, remnant in the Bible here, some of the most disgusting things that can happen, you read about the first half of chapter 19, things that I'll pass over this morning. But I want you to see one thing, just, just a couple things. And he said, I pray you, brethren, Lot had sunk so low that he would consider this group of men that were there with vile affection. He called them brother. Now listen, now, we love them and we pray, but beloved, they're not our brethren. Anybody that doesn't come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I don't care who they are. They're not my brother. Amen. These palm readers on the side of their mother so-and-so, she's not my mother. No, sir. I have no relationship with her, no kinship at all. Lot says, brethren, well, you read the rest of it, the angels bring him in and they send a lot. Listen, fire is falling. We've got to get you out. And Lot said, I got to get my daughters, my grown daughters. I got to warn them. I got to get them with us. They got to come with us. And I want you to see, I think some of the saddest words. And Lot went out, verse 14, this is Genesis 19, 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. We see daughters, we know there had to be two. There could have been ten. We don't know, but there was at least two.
and set up. Get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. Lot finally now gets to him and says, hey, you've got to come with us. We've got to flee. God is going to destroy this city. Now look at the last sentence in verse 14. I think, Brother Lamar, some of the saddest words in the Bible. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. I remember, been back many years ago, my mom and my daddy brought me to Virginia and dropped me off at school. I was a freshman in college. And I remember uh, we went down to Kmart. There were no Walmarts back in those days. How did we live without Walmart? I don't understand. But we got by somehow or another. And we had bought the sheets and all from my bed. And Mama was in there making my bed up. And, and uh, she couldn't stand not having curtains on the wall. And uh, I said, Mama, we don't need, yeah, you need curtains. Mama, there's a blind. There's a bank behind it. You, you couldn't get back there and look in the window if you wanted to. She said, don't care. I don't care what's looking out. I, won't look, I want you to know what you're looking out, what you're going to see. We're going to put curtains. So she put curtains up. They lasted about 15 minutes after she was gone. But while she was there, those curtains stayed up. And my daddy took me aside and he talked to me and said, now, son, listen. He said, none of our people have ever lived in Virginia. He said, listen to me, good son. He said, guard your name because when it comes right down to it, that's all you have. Guard your name. What was he saying? He said, behave yourself. Keep a good testimony. Keep a good name in front of folks. I've had people down through me say, I don't care what people think of me. You better. Amen. You better. Your testimony is what brings people to Christ. Well, it does matter what people think of us. And here, Lot had lost his testimony, not with his worldly bunch. He lost his testimony with his own family. Now, God in heaven, help me this morning. When my time comes to go and they stand at my grave, if my wife and three children can say, my daddy was a real Christian, I will die a successful man. How sad it is to be one thing in the pulpit and another thing at home. God help that wickedness. God help that wickedness. My wife, her second year of school, she roomed with a girl, one of the most hateful girls you ever met in your life. And finally, after five or six months, my wife found out this was a preacher's daughter. And she said, my daddy was one thing in the pulpit. He was a hard, Bible-believing, Bible-thumping preacher. But when we got home, he was something totally different. And it turned that girl against God, turned that girl against the Bible, turned that girl against everything righteous. And she hated everybody. Why? Because her daddy was a fraud. Her daddy was a fake. You better, you better make sure that you are at home what we are in the pulpit. You better make sure you are at home what you are in the youth group are up singing. You better make sure if you're going to walk straight, it ought to be straighter at home than it is anywhere else. They laughed at Lot. Said, Lot, that's a good one. You got any other good jokes? They did not take him serious. Why? Because he had never spoke of that before. Well, you know the story. The angels get Lot, his wife, two little girls, and out of the city they run. And they told him, said, now listen, you're going to hear some awful horrible things, but don't you look back. There's nothing back here for you. You've got to go. Don't look back. And they're fleeing across the plain. And for some reason, no one knows why, Lot's wife just glanced back. And when she did, immediately she was turned into a pillar of salt. You say, preacher, didn't you really believe that? I believe every word of it. Why? Because it's in my King James Bible. Now, real quickly, I want you to look at just a couple verses. And this, that's all been my introduction. You say, Lord, if that's your introduction, we'll be here till supper time. No, 
My sermon won't be as long as my introduction. But I want us to pick up reading now in Genesis 19, verse 27. And Abraham, while all this was going on in Sodom, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt and the fires destroying the cities. And Lot and his two girls are running across the plain for their lives. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And look carefully at verse number 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Now, beloved, real quickly, I want to give you about four, four or five thoughts real, real fast. Get them, jot them down. Real quickly, first of all, Abraham prayed for his nephew Lot. Abraham prayed for his nephew Lot. Beloved, I still believe God hears and answers prayer. How many of you believe that? Say amen. amen. You're sitting here this morning and you've got a lost loved one. You've got a friend, a family member. Maybe you preachers, uh, uh, somebody in your church is a loved one. And you know, just as sure as you're sitting here, they're lost and headed to a devil's hell. Let me ask you, how much are you praying for them? How often do you pray for them? I wonder, do we really love our people? Do we really love our friends? If the thoughts of them dying and going to hell doesn't stir us in God's name, what will? My daddy's still alive. He'll be 93 in April. And if I thought, listen, if I thought if there was that much doubt in my mind as to where he'll go when he dies, I'd crawl over glass and through fire if I had to to tell him about the Lord. I couldn't stand the thoughts of my daddy rolling and tossing and turning in that awful, horrible place called hell. Beloved, Abraham prayed for his nephew Lot. You know, it's sad today that I have people I come up and in tears they say, Preacher, pray. My mama's lost. My daddy, my husband. I got a son or a daughter. And I've started asking, do you pray for them? And uh, so many times they say, well, I do when I think of it. I do occasionally. Beloved Abraham prayed every day for his nephew Lot. And if you're as concerned about your people as you say you are, you'll not let a 24-hour day pass that you don't call their name in prayer. Number two, he didn't wait till the trouble came. He was already praying. I've had so many people down through the years, 37 years of pastoring Baptist churches, and uh, they, they call and say, Preacher, will you go to the hospital? Will you go to the ICU or CCU? Mama's dying, and I'm, I'm afraid to... Afraid she's going to go to hell. And I've always wanted, I don't because it's a, not the appropriate time, but I've always wanted to know why are you waiting now to pray for mama? Why are you waiting till they're on their deathbed? Why are you waiting till they're gasping their last breath? Now you call the preacher. Now you weep in tears. Now you pray. Abraham was praying for Abraham before he got in the mess he was in. Number three, no one is ever too far gone. No one is ever too far gone. Beloved, years ago God gave me a little thought. As long as there's breath in their body, there's hope for their heart. As long as there's breath in their body, there's hope. For their heart. Yeah. Beloved, I'm glad this morning I don't care how low down, how sorry, how mean, how cantankerous somebody may be. I'm glad that God is able to reach down and God is able to save them and pull them out of the pits of hell. Amen. No one is ever too far gone. Is the service supposed to be over at 11, preacher? Okay. I had a dear lady in my church in Virginia... Her and her two grown sisters, they were all older ladies, they rode in on one of our vans.
And Eileen, she was the oldest one, country, just, just old country, Virginia country girl. She said, would you pray for my husband? He's lost, and I wish you'd come out and tell him about the Lord. I said, Eileen, I will. And so Tuesday night, I loaded up, and I drove down and pulled up in the yard. It wasn't, it wasn't a yard. It was a, a, just a dirt drive going up to one of these old farm country houses, and the porch was sitting up on stones. And the steps were kind of ratty looking and the porch was leaning. And I thought, I'm not walking up those steps, man. I'll, I'll bust them out, sure as the world, but no other way to get up there. So I creeped up those steps best I could and knocked on the door. And Eileen came and opened the door and said, oh, well, Reverend, well, what a surprise. What brings you here? And I thought, you silly lady, you asked me to come talk to your husband. What do you mean, what am I here? And she said, well, come on in. And I took a couple steps and turned to the left and there was a parlor sitting there. An old man sitting on the side of the room in a chair, great big arms on it. And I said, uh, are you Mr. called his name? He said, yep. I said, I'm Pastor Dean. I'm from the church up the road and I've come to tell you about the Lord. He said, hold on, Reverend. I got something for you before you start. I said, okay. So I'm standing there and he goes into the kitchen and I said, well, he's going to get me a jar of pickles or preserves or something, but he uh, didn't have quite have that on his mind. About that time, he walked out of that kitchen with a double-barrel shotgun. And I don't know what gauge it was, but the barrels looked to be a big ounce of coffee can. I've never seen barrels in all my life. He took a few steps, and he put that double-barrel shotgun, he pointed it right at me. And he said, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to get your blankety-blank off my, out of my house and get out of here. You say, preacher, what'd you do? I got my blankety-blank and I got out of there. That's what I did. <laughs> you say you didn't pray for him? No, sir. I prayed for him that hit God to make him miss the first shot so I could get to my car. And I got to my car and I shook the dust off my feet. And I said, that, that's fine. Well... She kept coming to church and we was praying for her husband. And about six months later, I'm at home one Sunday night after church. It's about 11, 11.30. I already got my pajamas on. I was going to bed and the phone rang. And it was one of my older deacons. And he was weeping uncontrollably. And he said, Brother Dean, he said, he said I, I'm so burdened. He said, I need to make a visit. Will you come get me and take me? He didn't drive, didn't have a car. I said, Arnold, it's 11.30, Sunday night. He said, I know God woke me up out of my sleep, said me to go make a visit. I said, can't we wait in the morning? He said, no, I got to go tonight. I said, okay. So I got up, put my suit on, got in my car, drove down to Alda Vista and pulled up to his house. He came out, got in the car, and we prayed. And I said, now, where are we going? He said, we're going to Eileen's house. I said, oh, no, we're not. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, Arnold, that man told me to get my blankety-blank out of his house, and I did, and I'm keeping it out of his house. I will not go down there. He said, well, you'll take me, won't you? I said, no, I'm not even going to do that. He said, I got to go. I said, well, I'll take you to the road, but you're going to walk up the driveway, and you can go on in. He said, okay. So I pulled up on the road, old mud driveway going up. He said, you're not going to make me walk up that driveway, are you? I said, you better know I'm going to make you walk up that driveway. And I said, I'm going to go wake up the undertaker to come get you while you're up there. He, he began to cry. He said, don't make me walk up that driveway. And Brother Barton, he reminded me so much of my granddaddy. He looked just like my papa Mullen. Well, I said, I'll drive you up there, but I'm not, I'm not getting near that house. So I pulled up there. I said, there it is. Help yourself. He said, won't you go to the door with me? No, Arnold, I'm not going to the door with you. I've already took you further than I said I was. Now, Arnold, that man's mean. He, I, he pulled a shotgun. Don't you understand? He pulled a shotgun on me. Not one barrel, but two. I said, I'm not going up on that porch. Well, he got to crying. He said, just go up on the porch with me. You don't have to go in. Just, just go on the porch. I said, Arnold, that porch won't hold me and you both. I, you just go on and I'll sit here and pray for you. He said, oh, please. I said, okay. So I went up on the porch, and I got over to the side where the, the blast coming out of the door wouldn't get me. 
And uh, he knocked on the door. Of course, everybody's asleep. He knocked and he knocked. And finally, we saw a lantern lit. And uh, Eileen came to the door. She had her robe just wrapped around her. She looked out and she said, Arnold, it's, it's after midnight. What are you doing? He said, God woke me up and told me to come down here and talk to your husband. She said, I, I don't know that that's a good idea. Then she looked and saw me. She said, Preacher Dean, are you with him? I said, I'm just a chauffeur. I'm fixing to go get back in the car. I'm not coming in. No, Arnold turned and tears running down his face. He said, don't send me in there by myself. I said, you want him to have a double funeral, don't you, Arnold? I said, okay. So I walked in. Two steps, I'm standing in the door of that parlor. And I looked over in the corner of the room, and there was, there was her husband. And he's sitting in this chair, had these two great big arms. And on one of them, he had a great big hunting knife. Looked like a little machete sitting there. And on the other arm, he had a 38 uh, pistol. And I said, well, at least we've moved up from a double barrel shotgun. He's going to knife us and then shoot what's left. And uh, I, I walked in the, in the room. He had oxygen on. And he looked up and saw me. He said, he said sir, I said, uh, Mr. Maddox, I said, I've come down. God woke my deacon up. And I've come down here to tell you about the Lord. And I was just looking for him to grab that pistol and start shooting. But he said, he said, I wondered when you were coming. Sir, he said, I asked the Lord to send you back down here one more time. And he began to weep. And I slipped over there. I said, well, while I'm telling you, let's get rid of this gun and let's get rid of this knife. And I gave it to Arnold. I said, Arnold, take go somewhere. And now he was unarmed. I said, do you know there's special rooms in hell for men that pull double-barreled shotguns on preachers? I said, boy, I preached him a sermon. And uh, I told him about the Lord. And I said, sir, will you accept him as your Savior? And I'll never forget, he said, preacher, I've been one of the meanest men in Pennsylvania County. He said, would God save a dirty, rotten sinner like me. And I said, you are exactly who Jesus shed his blood for. And I said, you pray and ask God to save you. Confess your sins. And he took my old hand and he began to confess his sins. You never heard a list of sins in all your life. He had killed a man. He had shot another one. He had run liquor. He took dope. I mean, I, I, was, I was sitting there thinking, oh, my soul. I, I know why those priests do it now. I mean, he was just rattling off a, a, a list of sins. And he finally got down and he said, oh, Lord, if you can save an old reprobate like me, I trust you as my Savior. Boy, I mean to tell you, when he, he got through, he was weeping. Eileen was weeping. Arnold, he never had stopped crying. And uh, I was weeping. And uh, oh, what a rejoicing, what a day. One of the meanest men in Pennsylvania County had just got saved. Amen. I took Arnold home. I went to the house. I got my pajamas on and got in the bed. About an hour and a half, two hours later, the phone rang. And I picked it up and it was Eileen. And I was surprised because she had no phone. And uh, Eileen said, Preacher Dean, it's about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, can you come to the hospital? She said, I need you at the hospital. She said, my, my husband's sick. I jumped up through my suit on. I drove to Lynchburg. When I pulled up, it's waiting on me at the emergency room. They said, they need you in there right away. The security guard parked my car, ran in, and uh, went into one of the cubicles. And there was Mr. Maddox. And he was, he was, he was right at the edge. I said, Eileen, what happened? She said, about 30 minutes after y'all left, he got real sick, and he, he went into a coma, and he never breathed another word. That man had a severe stroke, and while I was sitting there holding his hand, that man went out into eternity. I had no idea that that man was just a few hours from hell when he got saved. You talking about getting in by the skin of your teeth, he got, I've often thought, what would have happened if I'd waited till morning? That man would have died and gone to hell. 
you're sitting here and you say, my loved one, they're too mean, they're too low down, they're too sorry. No one is ever so far gone that the blood of Jesus cannot save their soul. Number four, Abraham didn't get discouraged and quit when he saw no answer. Sometimes you'll pray and they'll get worse. Sometimes you'll pray and they'll go farther. You just keep praying. And number five, put it down. I want you to see in verse 29. Get this. If you haven't got anything else, I've told you. Get this. Look at verse 29. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. Lot, his wife, and his four daughters were spared the flames of Sodom and Gomorrah not because of anything Lot had done. God saved God spared Lot because of Abraham. God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. I wondered this morning, who is God remembering you and sparing? Who are you standing in the gap for? Who are you making up a hedge for? Who are you weeping bitter tears for? God spared Lot not because of Lot because of an old gray-haired uncle that touched heaven every day for him. Touched heaven every day for him. Touched heaven every day for him. God remembered Abraham and saved Lot and his family. I preached this sermon last year at Sherathon. I told you at the end of that sermon of my oldest daughter. She was raised in church, but when we got to Greenville, she played the piano for me, and she had her only grandchild, little granddaughter. But I stood here last year behind this very pulpit, and I wept and I cried. And I told you about my girl, my oldest daughter, but she was my little girl. She and I were buddies coming up. She and I were closer than the other, other two children. And I, I must confess, I have pastored Baptist churches for 37 years. And I've had deacons, assistant pastors, song leaders, piano players, Sunday school teacher. I've had just about everybody to leave a church that could leave a church. But listen, I've never had anything hurt me like when it was my own child. Turned their back and walked away from God. Living in the most despicable circumstances. I'm talking about in the dregs over the flesh pots of sin. She had her only grandchild. The little girl's getting older and older. Never been to Sunday school. Never heard of Jesus. Never sang the B-I-B-L-E. Never, never, had, ne- never knew anything about God. Nothing. My granddaughter didn't know who Jesus was. And I stood in this pulpit and I told you to help me pray. And dear friends, I must confess, I grew awful weary. That dear sister praying that song. Sometimes you pray and the answer doesn't come and you've prayed and you've prayed and it seems like the more you pray, the worse it gets. Eyes to the end of a rope. That's just about to give up. And uh, my wife kept telling me, she said, Honey, God's told me that she'll be back. God's told me she'll be back. I said, well, I wish you'd tell me. He hadn't even whispered anything my way. I I just felt lost. I felt lost. We went for a year and she never spoke to me. One day out of the blue, my cell phone rang and it was my daughter. The War had just started in Ukraine and everybody was so fearful of it. And she called and said, Daddy, 
everybody that I've talked to on the phone today, she works for Verizon, she said it's talking about the war and some said it's the end times and, and uh, she said, would you tell me what's going on? And I said, well, darling, I heard one of the newscasts say it was Armageddon. We know it's not, but that's what they said. I said, they said it's the beginning of World War III and possibly that could happen if China goes with uh, Russia and we're with the Ukraine. It could be World War III. And uh, we talked for just a minute and I said, what do I have to lose? Hadn't spoke to her for a year. What's she going to do, get mad and hang up on me? That's where I was 10 minutes ago. I said, darling, if it is the end of the world, I'm worried about where you're going to spend eternity. And the line got quiet. And she said, Daddy, I saved when I was 12 years old at Bible camp at Camp Bethel. But she said, Daddy, I'm as far away from God as a person can be. I said, darling, you don't have to be. She said, Daddy, I've gone too far. I said, no, you haven't. I said, but darling, you and I both know somebody that's not saved. I said, she's six years old and she's never heard of Jesus. I said, don't it bother you that she could die and go to hell? And she said, Daddy, it keeps me up at night thinking that she could die and go to hell. I said, honey, tell her about the Lord. Lead her to Christ. She had been one of the best soul winners we had in our church. And that's what she said. Listen, she said, Daddy, my daughter, said, Daddy, I don't remember one verse of Scripture. I can't quote, I can't quote John 3.16. I said, well, bring her up here to the house and let your mama talk to her. Your mama will get her saved, I promise you. And so she said, we'll be there Friday. And I said, okay. So Friday after school, my daughter got my little granddaughter and came to the house. My daughter and I sat in our living room and my wife and little granddaughter who we hadn't seen in months and months, they went out in the yard talking. And about an hour later, my little granddaughter comes running through the kitchen. And she runs in the living room. And she said, Mama, Paul, Paul, I just got saved. My little granddaughter, I just got saved. This is in February. I said, God bless you, darling. I told my daughter, I said, darling, I said, you, you little girl saved. Now, why don't you get right? She said, Daddy, I just can't do it. They got in their car and they drove off. And I've never been so discouraged in all my life. First week of April, my phone rings. And Marcia said, Daddy, will you come and get us? I said, I'm on my way. I drove down the Fountain Inn. She had been living with a man. Wicked conditions. And I got my daughter and I got my granddaughter, and what things they could throw in a bag, I put them in my car, and I brought them to the house. And my daughter, in our living room, bowed her head and rededicated her life back to Christ. Amen. That was on a Thursday or Friday. Sunday, she came forward, and in front of my church, standing up front, she said, I've confessed my sin to God. I've confessed my wickedness to God. I wanted to get as far away from God and especially far away from my daddy as I could. But the devil played me. And it was a wicked, terrible life. And I was miserable. But I've, I've gotten right with God and I'm asking my church to forgive me. And boy, the people one by one began to come and hug her neck and kiss her and welcome her back in. Yesterday she played the piano for me. And my little granddaughter stood last night and she sang a song in church. Now, if you had asked me standing here last year, hey, my little granddaughter, she's in first grade at Tabernacle Christian School. If you had told me that this time last year, I'd have said, you're crazy. If you had told me that while I stood in this pulpit, when I preached this sermon last year, I said, I, I can't see it. I can't believe it. But because of a grandmother and a, and a happy way in granddaddy, God heard the prayer and he saved my granddaughter. He brought my daughter back. I want to tell you, it works. 
It works. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't throw in the towel. God still hears. God still answers prayer. And he'll answer your prayer if you'll but call on the God of heaven whose face is burning in your mind right now. When was the last time you got in an altar and called their name in prayer? Let's stand to our feet. Father, help us to take those old prayers that we've sat on the shelves in the closet of our soul and we've let get dusty. Oh God, help us now this morning to pull them out, dust them off. And this morning, Lord, may we come and call that name in prayer. And may we make our minds up and determine in our souls that we'll not let a 24-hour period pass that we don't touch heaven for our loved ones, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. Oh God, oh God, do a work. It's real. He's real. I know he's real. And he still hears and answers prayer. I pray there'll be people saved as a result of the prayers of these saints in the altar. I pray there'll be mamas and daddies in heaven because of the prayers. I pray there'll be husbands and wives in heaven because of the prayers that are being prayed. I pray there'll be some little boys and girls running the streets of gold because of the prayer that's touching heaven for them right now. Oh God, help us never give up. Help us never quit. Help us never stop calling on the God of heaven to save our loved ones. Oh God, oh Lord, help us. Lord, may we remind you every day they're still lost. God, save them. Lord, we may not even know where they are, but I'm glad you do. You know where they are. You know what they're doing, and you know what it's going to take to bring them back. Oh, God, do a work. Do a work, I pray. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. These altars are filled with people coming talking to the Lord. Maybe you're watching at home. Why don't you just slip down beside the chair? Just make a little altar right there where you're sitting and call upon that God of heaven. Call their name. Call their name. And know that there is a God who answers prayer.